I'm gonna sign your pity on the runny can. So you think you're an arts fan? Okay, Frodo Baggins. Can you handle this? It's the top grossing movies of 2001 Part 1. The blinged out year that gave us these burning questions. You're not by any chance computer shopping, are you? What's the worst tragedy? Ben Affleck's love life or Pearl Harbor? I pray to God no one ever has to see the things that I saw. How much money did it take for Sam Neill to go back to Jurassic Park? Alan. And did that ape want to f Mark Wahlberg? What? No. Because you still have that Janet Jackson poster hanging above your bed. Admit it. It's Binge Movies 145. Finally, after 25 years of podcasting, uh, I'm being joined by podcasting veteran of the Cinema Guys. Not Cinnamon Guys, Cinema Guys. <laughs> and if you're confused, why does Cinema Guys have a woman in it if it's Cinema Guys? I asked. There's a story. It doesn't make sense. We'll, we'll spare you the details. Cinema and shout outs to you wherever the world, wherever the world you are. I hope you're listening. Uh, of course, I'm talking to who is this on the other side? This is this is Brad. Oh, or, oh, you know, as Julio likes to refer to me, Julio from Contrarians, Brad Fest. Oh, it's Brad. Finally, <laughs> this is finally this here. is like the finallys uh, um, of I just did two peas on a pod. Uh, I was one of the peas that was on the pod. Finally, I were. finally did a guest appearance, uh, one of only two that Paul would have me on. I mean, I, I still haven't been on the official countdown show. What? Yet, so, yeah. I've been on a trivia, the trivia that they did. Yeah, I remember you but, being on there. Um, that was it? You were never on the main the show? No. Holy shit. Paul, what are you Paul, doing? I'm, I'm kind of the anti-Paul when it comes to movies, so I don't know if he wants me on. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're the anti-Paul. What does that mean? Because Paul likes so, real bad, shitty movies. I like even worse shitty movies. But I was about to say, so. I follow you on Letterboxd, <laughs> and you watch some some rough stuff, buddy. Like, if there's something that I no do. one has ever heard of that I stumble upon, there's only one associate on. I'm, I'm talking about something that has, like, a hundred reviews on Letterboxd. There's only one person I know that is already there and has already reviewed it and given it four stars. And it's you. And when you give something probably, a star and a half, then yeah. I know it's going to be real bad. <laughs> and that that's kind of where the, the Brad Fest that I was talking yeah. about. Julio says that's my my taste in the movies is kind of considered as Brad Fest. Like movies that are so bad that I consider good that I'd put in some festival. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, well, you do make the rounds at uh, Comic-Cons and local conventions and. You, you guys, you. you're you and your crew. You're out and about the cinema guys with the cinemaiden. Yeah, with the cinemaiden. Yeah. She, she's just one of the guys. That's, that's kind of how we how we how we put it. Does she have to she's gender bend guys. as a host though? To like one of the guys? Does she pretend that she's actually a dude while she's on? the Oh show? no, no. Okay. She yeah. she lets us know. I see. All right. It, especially if we make comments that shouldn't be. She's like, come on. I see. Come on. All right. So <laughs> she's the conscience of the cinema guys. 
Sometimes. Yeah. Or she's here for some hot takes that really throw us off. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Well, it sounds like maybe I need to get the Cinema Maiden on. Where's she at tonight? <laughs> Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> so how long have you been doing it? Because we were just talking about it. You've been you've been around uh, roughly around the same time. Uh, let's so just we put started... like this. We've seen a lot of people come and go, haven't we, Brad? We have. We have. <laughs> I, we started August 2016. Wow. And we just, we've been... It, sporadic but we try to do every other week so we we do an episode every two weeks yeah we just hit episode 150 i never thought i'd make it that far yeah wow congratulations i mean we do a whole bunch of host of other things like you said we hit the conventions here in cincinnati and i take part in horror hound here in cincinnati and yeah a lot of other things i watch crappy movies on tubi (laughs) (laughs) yeah if you want a good follow to know what is dog shit on tubi Brad is your man. Uh, we, I think we both agree about Skin and Marink, though. Oh, my God. That was painful. A painful <laughs> movie to watch. I think your review hit it. Like, it was just headache-inducing. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you. All right. Well, speaking of headache-inducing, I'm looking at this list of movies that make the bottom five of the top ten worldwide highest-grossing films of 2001. Where were you in 2001? Did you see any of these movies in theaters? And do you remember them sucking this bad? <laughs> I, at the time, <laughs> at the time, I was actually living in San Francisco. Oh, wow. And I did see all five of these movies in the theater that year. Did you like them so, in 2001? Uh, you know what? I, I, like, I like most of them. Like, like, looking at this list, I think you got the perfect guest on for these films. <laughs> I mean, you've seen my watch list. Yes, that's so. right. That's right. <laughs> I, this is kind of in your wheelhouse. Yes. All right. Well, we'll find out. You like them then. You like bad movies now. I'm kind of uh, tipping my hand of what I think about these five films. <laughs> we'll figure out if you like them now and in what order you like them, because you and I are going to be giving mm-hmm. our definitive rankings. Only one on this list for that you select can go on to the uh, guest list that will make its way to the end of the season. Only one of these movies in this list can make it under my short list. Uh, we'll figure out which one that is. Now, I have to say, with a little bit of a caveat, I've already reviewed two of these movies, but I reviewed them many moons ago when, as a avid listener of the show uh, said, the show was shit. Now it's actually good. <laughs> so when the show was I mean- shit, I covered these two. Speaking of, one of the first early... Movies I covered when the show was still shit. It's 2001's <laughs> Hannibal. I'm looking at my watch. I think it's about that time. Let's get into our definitive rankings. All right. Starting with Hannibal, which currently has a 39% on Rotten Tomatoes. Dear Clarice. Hey, by any chance, trying to trace my whereabouts? If so, goody, goody. Because I need some action, Clarice. I need to come out of retirement and return to public life. Regards, your old pal, Hannibal Lecter. Rated R. Hannibal was directed by Ridley Scott. It was written by Thomas Harris, David Mamet, of all people, and Steve Zalian. That's a lot of high-quality names being associated with this movie. I, you can tell where I'm going to go. It is the triumphant return of Gary Oldman. I think I've seen him in other movies since. It doesn't matter. From this point forward in the show, in the the history of binge movies, moving forward in our future, 
anytime Gary Oldman appears, it's only going to be a transfer turn from his last appearance, which is tiptoes. Even if we watch 50 more movies with Gary Oldman, <laughs> it'll always be the transfer turn of Gary Oldman from tiptoes. You could be Gary Oldman for all I know. Yes. I mean, he, he disappears into a lot of roles. So oh, yeah. Knows? That's right. I'm just, uh, he's the Daniel Day-Lewis of dog shit movies. That is Gary Oldman. Uh, and it's a triumph return of all of these people because I already reviewed this movie. It was released February 9th, 2001 on a budget of $87 million. It made $165.1 million. Movie makers lusting after box office gold unironically make a movie about avarice and ruination. It was a movie <laughs> to say that. And <laughs> um, okay. A little bit of history, Brad. Dino De Laurentiis, who is a, a, a dad or uncle of Giada De Laurentiis, which I just figured out like in the last couple of years. I'm like, where did Giada, the TV cook, come from? Her dad is Dino De Laurentiis. I think, I think that's her dad. Okay. Okay. All right. He produced Manhunter, the Michael Mann Manhunter film, yes. right? With yes. uh, Brian Cox instead of uh, uh, Anthony Hopkins. And mm -hmm. the movie flopped. It flopped likely due to the fact that Dino De Laurentiis demanded they change the title from the hit book known as uh, Red Dragon. Red Dragon. Which was a very popular book, which is why it was going to be made into a movie in the first place. And he changed and it, it got to, made into a movie eventually. Yes. And he changed it to <laughs> fucking Manhunter, which nobody knew what it was. He then, because that movie flopped so bad, when Orion came along and said, well, we want to adapt Signs of the Lambs, he said, have at it. You guys can, you buy the rights to Science of the Lambs. And they're like, well, we can't do Science of the Lambs unless we have Lecter. And Dilo De La, Dino De Laurentiis said, you can have Hannibal Lecter for free. Nobody cares about that character. So even though he essentially owned the movie rights to Lecter, but not to the book adaptation, Science of the Lambs, he gave them Lecter for free. Obviously, Science of the Lambs, which we covered in our top grossing movies of the 90s, but a decade previous, was a huge critical and, and commercial success, right? It, it, it did fairly well, and it was a fantastic film. Yes. I remember the first time I saw that going, well, wow. So then he goes, I want Hannibal Lecter back. <laughs> And I want to exploit this character, and I'm desperate to exploit him, but there's no more <laughs> books. There was only two books, Red Dragon and yep. Signs of the Lambs. So he pressures Thomas Harris, write another book. So he writes a book, and it's Hannibal, which he then pays a record price for to get the rights to. And we end up with this movie, and eventually we end up with Hannibal Rising. Remember that one? The Hannibal oh, Lecter yes. origin prequel story. <laughs> I remember bits of it. It's one of those that I, I just try to put out of my mind. That is a movie that came, <laughs> flopped, and has no... People don't even talk about it as a joke or as a meme. Nobody no. recalls it other than you and I because we watch a lot of garbage. <laughs> so this ended up... We now have this weird legal quandary that we still have with us to this day, which is Orion had and still has the Science of the Lambs rights, except for the fact that Orion eventually was purchased by MGM. And MGM is owned by MGM Holdings Incorporated. And MGM Holdings Incorporated recently sold in the last few years to Amazon. Amazon, yeah. So Amazon has as the parent company that has the rights to the Silence of the Lambs and therefore the Clarice Starling character. But they do not have the rights to the Hannibal Lecter character. The Hannibal Lecter character is still under the, the rights of Dino De Laurentiis and wherever he's currently set up shop. Now, it sounds like a mess. It's a mess. mess. And speaking of mess, <laughs> the difference between, and nothing gets Sir Ridley Scott, but uh, 
this film uh, was sorely lacking the touch of Jonathan Demme, who did the Silence of the Lambs. They mm-hmm. tried to bring him back for Hannibal, and this is what he said. He goes, uh, Tom, the late, great Jonathan Demme. Tom Harris, as unpredictable as ever, took Clarice and Dr. Lecter's relationship in a direction that just didn't compute for me. Clarice is drugged up, and she's eating brains with him. I just thought, I can't do this. Jonathan Demme was a weirdo, and he was looked at this movie, and he was like, I, I can't make this movie. It's just not, it just isn't whatever. This was Dino De Laurentiis, which, honestly, he said it, but he didn't bring up Dino. He didn't, bring, he didn't disparage the movie. He just said, I can't do this. It doesn't compute to me. Here is De, uh, De Laurentiis' response. When the Pope dies, we create a new Pope. Good luck to Jonathan Demme. Goodbye. That was his official (laughs) statement. He then later said that Jonathan Demme could, quote, not make a sequel as good as Science of the Lambs if he tried. Well, uh, that was a quote for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Can we gather from this little bit of history that Dino De Laurentiis is a piece of shit? He doesn't sound like the best type of person that you want to you want to associate with. That's for sure. So He sounds like a typical Hollywood producer is what we're saying. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. A Hollywood producer from. The 90s, 2000s. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. For, but like, from like early, the 70s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah <laughs> early Dino's Hollywood. been making movies forever. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I think he might have died, actually. But I think his son produces movies now. But um, uh, I could be wrong about that. Fact check me, internet. I'm sure you will. It might be a botch or a boner. But um, the other famous little bit of trivia here is that, and you kind of alluded to it already, is that Gary Oldman was not wanting his name anywhere in the credits for this movie. Not because he was embarrassed by his campy performance, but because he wanted to so transform mm-hmm. in the makeup as Verger uh, uh, or Ver, whatever the guy character's name is, that he simply wanted to just be unrecognizable. And that brings me to my first point in the first review of this movie, Mason Verger. I've done, in the history of the show, I've done a 180. If you'd have asked me when this show first started back, not long before you started yours, what I thought about Gary Oldman, I would have told you he was one of the greatest actors of all time. I mean, he has a lot of good work. I mean, absolutely has a lot of good work. I've seen so many Gary Oldman movies beyond <laughs> tiptoes. I've seen so many Gary Oldman movies. And he is either breathing heavy or over the top. And I think there's a time and a place for him, but I also think that he actually kind of sucks. I think <laughs> Gary Oldman is secretly not a good actor. I think he he wants to just chew scenery up is what he wants to do. I mean, you can go back to like the fifth element and Dracula uh, lost yeah. uh, lost in space. Right. Like he just, never fears. I mean, there are Smith scenes, is here. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The scenes that yeah. he wants to just like eat up like Leon, the professional. Yep. I mean, I think that's probably where people really like know, especially the part where he's like, give me everyone. What, like, what do you mean? Everyone? Everyone. Exactly. Yeah. He's constantly <laughs> popping barbiturates and like cracking his neck and acting weird yes. and talking about opera. And yes, he, he just wants to chew scenery. And I think yeah. that's what he does when he comes on. He even does in this, like there are many scenes in this where it's just like he wants to outdo whoever's on screen with him. You mean when, like, when he's constantly yelling out, Cardell, Cardell. Yeah. <laughs> and um, he goes, uh, <laughs> my favorite line, because this is the second time I've reviewed this for the show. My favorite line in the entire movie is when he's laying in bed 
and he asked uh, Starling, we'll get to that if it's actually Starling or not, uh, but uh, if she's given her life to Christ. And he is, oh, I'm not ashamed. I, I, all of my sins have been atoned for by the risen Christ, and nobody beats the Riz. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, I did write nobody that down. Nobody beats the Riz. Because <laughs> one of my things was the, uh, was, was some of the dialogue was just odd. It's camp. This whole movie is campy as fuck. Hannibal Lecter says like, okie dokie 16 times in this movie. Like, I think one of the other ones I wrote down was you writing a book or catching a crook. Yeah, it's just this. This is bad dialogue. Is it, honestly, there's so many things in this movie. If this, it, like, I used to have to do these notes by hand. I can't anymore. But it, the pad and the pen would have caught on fire with the amount of friction I created. <laughs> because every two seconds, okay, when they're doing the raid, when they introduce Starling, they're doing the raid, and they're mm-hmm. a bag of a fish monger truck or whatever, and they're showing up at the wet market. Why the fuck is there dry ice or a giant ice cube in the middle of the cop truck? It doesn't come into play. It d- there's just it's sitting in the middle because she wakes up from the, this dream and we, she like appears through the mist. And you think it's like a special effect, which it is. But then they pan out from her asleep on, in the back of the FBI van. And there's just a block of dry ice sitting there. Why is it sitting there? My, maybe they rented the truck and it was just there and like, you know what? Just leave it. It didn't make any sense to me. When she shoots the, 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 the crackhead mom down and she catches the baby, the baby mm-hmm. is soaked in blood. She waterboards this infant. There is, not that she like tries to, do you, do you know what I'm saying? She's yes, not trying to get the blood off the baby. Okay, that part made sense to me. She has a full fucking fire hose pouring <laughs> down on this baby. Why? Why there <laughs> why does Inspector Potsy need a password to see the top ten FBI most wanted? I don't know. He has to log in with his uh, uh Polizia credentials or whatever <laughs> to see the fucking FBI website? The public website of the FBI. I know it's 2001, but the top ten most wanted, he has to put in his credentials to be able to see it. Why? It was odd seeing Osama bin Laden on there. That was a big whoops. Yeah. <laughs> whoops. I mean, this, she this probably should have got him like, a little quicker. I even, I even said the tone, one of my notes was the tone was odd. Like it was just, it just felt, most of the movie, it just felt off. Yes. Like they didn't know what kind of movie they wanted to make. Yes. Are they making like this romanticized, like movie between Hannibal Lecter and Clarice of like yep. this or or are they making something else? Like, I don't know. And then you get Ray Liotta. <laughs> he, he just seemed like he just stepped off of Goodfellas. And all of a sudden, he's like the, the head of the... <laughs> the ju- he works for the DOJ or the Justice Department. Yeah. Yeah. He, <clears throat> and he, he just, he feels like he just, the way he talks and acts and everything, he feels like he just walked off of Goodfellas and just walked on this set. And like, yeah, here I am. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. If, if, if he, like, he walked off of Goodfellas and then slept walk his way onto this set. He was a fucking <laughs> asleep to this movie, except for when he saw cartoon boobs. And he, was, he literally is a grown man. Sees hand, like pencil drawn boobs. He goes, <laughs> I mean, don't we all? <laughs> no. <laughs> I want you to see a pair of tips before, sir. What the fuck is wrong with you? And here's the thing: like, if you want to deal, there's going to be comparison. You, well, you can't compare it to Jonathan. Dip. Well, I'm going to. And here's why: 
because there was so much was about uh, uh, Clarice Starling as an FBI trainee. Mm -hmm. The entire premise was that she was sent there to entice Lecter because she was a young, smart, attractive female that he might respond to in some sort of weird cannibal sexual way. She was bait for him. That that's the subtext, though. And when she steps on the elevator, when they when the, the opening scene of her running across the FBI campus, and she gets into the elevator, and every man towers above her, and they all look down on her body. Mm -hmm. That showed told you told you everything you needed to know about her place in the world, the internalized misogyny, institutional misogyny of the FBI, and how that she was a woman who was where that women are in danger in a world full of predators which is part of the theme of Silence of the Lambs, right? Yeah, to just have like Ray, they, Ray Liotta go, tits, you want to well, fuck, it, you want to fuck, Snarling? <laughs> it's so debased. <laughs> like, like it's, it sounds ridiculous to say that this movie debases Silence of the Lambs, which is with got about a guy tucking his dick and dancing around, and at Hannibal the Cannibal. But somehow that movie elevated what could have been junk, exploitative material and made an all-time classic and we're, yes. we're, we're now we even have to debate, is it even a horror movie or not? Because we can't because it's so elevated. And then they just come up with this, which is just junk. This movie is fucking go camp garbage. I, yeah, I mean, you see what I watch and I will 100 percent agree with you. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I watched this movie on Tubi. Yeah, it's on Tubi. Yes, yes. <laughs> it, it just there was just so much of this movie where you're like you alluded to. You're just like, what? what and you're just <laughs> right. like, what wait what yes it defies <laughs> logic there's, like, wait, there's a, even the scene when he kills the um potsy yeah and you know he slices him and then his guts just spill out you're like oh that's some cool little gore but i'm just like but was it necessary it's like, also in a way piazza wouldn't people fucking figure out that somebody he's wrapped up somebody threw this son of a bitch out the window he, he, he doesn't look like a suicide it looks like he yeah. was murdered wouldn't somebody figure <laughs> he's, out when he's he when, split open when he split open when he comes out of the fucking library window maybe it's the weird creepy librarian up there yeah, that is maybe yeah <laughs> like, like, but nobody even investigates this guy's fucking death it is no. so strange this movie has this trope that bothers me. It absolutely bothers me. It shows up in movies all the time. It's that movies always, when they, when they have news footage from a crime scene, they always show in the movies the gunned down body and, and the corpses on the news. I have never in a live broadcast of any news organization in the world seen where they just flat out show a dead body on the ground and go, yeah, we're no. right here where there was a mass shooting and blah, blah, blah. They, they don't show They'll it. They'll be at the scene, but they're not going to show Correct. It. And they're sure as fuck not going to show it and go, uh, and here's a, that, here's a dead FBI agent. They were on an <laughs> undercover. How'd they know that was an FBI agent? There was a whole undercover op. Plus, they were there with local DC police. There was a weird standoff, and Clarice Starling, who was famous a couple years ago, is involved in it, and all this blame's been... It's just like exposition for the sake of exposition. It's not yeah. how the fucking news works. Uh, it's just, oh, this movie stinks. The... the <laughs> with the line that gets a laugh at him other than nobody beats the Riz is when he... When Verger, uh, Mason Verger is talking about how he was trying to seduce Hannibal Lecter, and he he just says, it's just Anthony, Sir Anthony Hopkins says, Mason, would you like a papa? 
even even Hopkins seemed like he was just trying to choose scenery. This is not and, Hannibal Lecter. This is a and cartoon. He was yes. just like trying. It, it was almost a, a parody of what we yes. got from Silence of the Lambs. Yes, like he was making fun of the character for this film. I don't know a lot about poppers, Brad. I know they get you <laughs> high and they open up your butthole, and you're all your you know. I don't think that a popper could, unless it was laced, that somebody broke a fucking mirror and handed you a shirt of glass and said, why don't you cut your face off? You're going to cut your face and off. And feed yeah. it to the dog. Doesn't that sound nice? <laughs> I cannot imagine that there's a popper out there that would make you do that. <laughs> Although To the popper the community who listens to binge movies, <laughs> you can email the show bingemovies <laughs> at gmail.com and let me know if I'm off base. Let me know if I, because I'm certainly no expert on poppers, but I'm sure somebody in our listening audience who is, Tweet at us, DM us. Let me know. Would you cut your face off after you after you ingested a popper? When you sniff a popper, would you cut your fucking face off? And also, inquiring minds want to know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Inquiring minds want to know. Although Gary Oldman's makeup was pretty good. Yes. For like, you cannot tell that that's him, and until he starts chewing that scene, you're like, oh yeah, I know, I know who that is. Is you? But go ahead. His the dialogue, like not the dialogue, but the 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 way it was recorded like it just felt like they had a mic close to him with the gain cranked up all the way because you could hear every mouth movement yeah. really loud yeah. and i'm just like what what is going on here it's staggering that ridley scott directed this it really is you're like it, it is whoa it is. like you, you think this is like just some low-level guy that they got in this was like a total cash grab movie not like a ridley scott david mamet uh the, the playwright was, fucking wrote this a year a year out of the gladiator, gladiator. yep 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 staggering so it, it, it's like i just i need to make something i guess that well they knew it was gonna make money i think but okay oh yeah off the name alone yes. it was gonna make money so a couple of issues here so the first issue is starling is and likely always will be jodie foster Despite yes. the fact that Jodie Foster had had was had a career since she was an adolescence, and she embodied the character of Clarice Starling so much and in such a way that it made Starling feel like a real FBI trainee who was mm-hmm. bright but over her head, and so seeing anyone else, especially just like ten years later, trying to play that role and trying to then play a more seasoned version of that character because this is. She's now a decade into her career as an FBI agent. It just doesn't feel right. And even though I like Julianne Moore, I don't think she was up to the task. I don't think she's good in this. She's not given good material to work with, but I do not. Uh, She does not feel like Clarice Starling. And this movie's entire plot is built around the personal history shared Mm -hmm. between Hannibal Lecter and Clarice Starling. But once you recast one of those people, they no longer (laughs) share any of that history so, yes, you can say, well, the characters still share the history, but we're looking at the screen and what we remember from what came off of that screen when we saw Silence of the Lambs the decade previous was those, those two actors acting their asses off and those, yes. those tete-a-tetes between them, right? That those, those conversations be, 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 you know, with the glass between them. And, and all of the, you know, are the lambs still screaming, Clarice? Like the, him sort of psychoanalyzing and mind fucking her and her fucking with him and not, you know, him being a step ahead. Like it's was Jodie Foster and, and Anthony Hopkins 
And that's what made that movie pop, among other things. Yeah. That was the main thing you took away from it. So to go, we're going to make a movie about their history. And then be like, but this, but the part of Clarice Starling will be played by somebody that looks nothing like Jodie Foster. Yeah. No. And is a completely different t- style of actor. It just it doesn't tries work. the accent. Yes. Tries. Yeah, it tries the accent. And yeah. she's still dealing with the same stuff she was 10 years ago with, with the men in her department. And like nothing against Julianne Moore. Like she's a good actress. Yeah. Yeah. But I think she just had giant shoes to try to fill. In a movie that just was shit. Well, the moment you start, the moment you can't get Clarice Starling back, you have to write a different script if you're going to make a Hannibal movie. The yeah. moment you can't get Jodie Foster, then you have to figure something else out. They were in a tough situation, though, because they were adapting a book, and these books have, and still do, a huge following. So how do you adapt a book? It was really only made so you could make a movie. So that then you'd have to rewrite it because you couldn't get Jodie Foster to show up. It just and I'm sure I'm sure the turnaround was I don't know what its turnaround was from like okay the book's done we got to get this movie made and get it out. It was very quick, yeah. From what it was very quick, yeah. So what's really weird is like Jonathan Demme was a weird director and he made weird movies and Silence of the Lambs was a weird movie, but he was as odd as he was he was extremely precise. There's a precision to the Silence of the Lambs. And just the way it's shot, there's an intentionality. And it's just the way I would say there is like this obsessive precision to the film. Really? Well, and every actor in that film, they were given it their yes. all. Like Anthony Hopkins was, was all in with this character. Jodie Foster was all in. Um, Buffalo Bill, now I can't remember his name. I mean, he yeah. was acting his ass off. Like Scott Glenn, everybody. For this. Right. Yes. So here comes really Scott. Like you were saying, he he's almost making a lyrical, like it's like like a lyrical romance. It's you know Rome is the city of passion, and Lecter yes. is now this killer exactly. of passion who speaks lyrically, and Mason Verger is like a fetishist for his own disfiguration, and he's sexually preoccupied with Lecter, but he can't admit it because now he's a conservative weirdo, and all it's like. It's really weird, and it takes all it takes all of the ambiguous eroticism of Starling and Lecter because you never quite in the Science of Lambs like what is this relationship? Is he just messing with her to mess with her? Is he attracted yeah. to her? Is he attracted because he wants to eat her, or is the attraction sexual, or is that the same thing for him, or is he just attracted to her mind and vice? Like, but you never needed to explore like oh no he wants to fuck her and then eat her. Like you never needed to bring it down to that level. Just that tension of what is going on here. Is she mm-hmm. just playing him? Is she being played? Like we never, we never needed to move beyond that because the subtext was the point. This movie takes the subtext and tries to make it text in the most e- extremely disinteresting way. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And to this finale that tries to shock you in the end where you're just like, Ooh, Okay, and then you just move on, you know, feeding him his own brain. Like, it, it was shocking at first. Yep. Like, watching it the second time, I'm just like... It's goofy. This is ridiculous. It's goofy, yeah. It's comical. <laughs> in the end, when, he's, when he has the little tray on the plane, and the little kid's like, oh, what's that? And it's... Yeah. Would he really be eating some cooked brains he's been holding in a, like, a little lunchbox to take on the plane? Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, it it is... Um, it is almost, how do I say this? Hannibal is bad in every way in which Science of the Lambs was good. 
I think that's the best way you can say it. So for me, I'm giving it a five out of 10 only because I laughed at parts of it. <laughs> that's fair. Uh, and it's my number four for the week. It's not the worst of the week. Oh, it's pretty damn close. Um, um, I, I think I know what your worst might be <laughs> yeah. if I'm watching, you know, Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Holy <laughs> shit. We'll get to it. What's your score? What's well, your rank here? Uh, I, after much thought, this ended up with a four out of ten and it is my bottom for the week. Oh, this is your worst of the week. Yeah, this is my worst of the week. Yeah, I can't really fault you on that. All right, let's move along to another movie <laughs> that blew up no skirts. This is like the bottom half here is sequels and remakes pretty much right yeah it was, it was a big well you look at the top five i don't think they were many sequels. no but got. this bottom five is like let's do it again it's like oh god <laughs> all right so, so speaking of a reboot of planet of the apes which currently has 44 percent rotten tomatoes delta pod is launched in six days you can experience where am i a whole new world good luck everybody have a nice ride I think it's fair to call this hostile territory. <laughs> a whole new adventure. A whole new planet. Get me the space man. Can't we all just get along? Oh. Planet of the Apes. Rated PG-13. Parents strongly cautioned. In six days. This, of course, was directed by Tim Burton. It's based on a screenplay by William Broyles Jr., Lawrence Connor, and Mark Rosenthal. It is based on Planet of the Apes, the book by Pierre... Whatever the fuck. It is the triumphant return of Tim Roth, last seen in Reservoir Dogs, triumphant return of Mark Wahlberg, not seen since the days of Transformers Age of Extinction. It's the triumphant return of Michael Clark Duncan, last seen in The Green Miles, the triumphant return of Helena Bonham Carter, last seen in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows Part 2. It is the triumphant return of Paul Giamatti, last seen in John Dies at the End. It is the triumphant return of Kerry Tagawa, last seen in Mortal Kombat and The Phantom, as the Kaba sang. Uh, the Grand Kaba sang. This film was released uh, July 27th, 2001, in a budget of $100 million. It made $362.2 million. <sighs> Monkey of a Man lands on Planet <laughs> of the Apes, where he reveals Ape Christ was a lie. It was. I, I'm At this time, I was a big Tim Burton fan. I mean, who wasn't with Batman? Yep. Batman Returns. Yep. Um, Ed Wood. Nightmare Before Christmas. He, wrote, he didn't direct Nightmare Before Christmas, but... Yeah. And then he had Ed Wood. Yes. So going into this, I loved Planet of the Apes as a kid, watching it with my dad. So this new one, kind of a different take with Tim Burton, I was all in. And ultimately, I I enjoyed this movie when I originally came out of the theater mm -hmm. in 2001. Yep. And upon this rewatch, I still kind of enjoyed it. I, I thought it was paced quick enough that it just kind of went through fast it does have a ton of ridiculous moments yes. in it like tim roth is just like in hannibal i mean he's chewing yes. scenes yep. when he's on screen good old general but fade I, I really i really enjoy this movie he's a descendant of the false ape christ and i know i i just did the new um apes trilogy with paul from the countdown we just did it for our patreon yeah and I'd only seen two of the three up until then because yeah. I hated them. And really, upon a rewatch, I came back and Rise still isn't my favorite, but the other two, especially War, War was my absolute favorite, and I was just blown away years later by them. Oh, that's interesting. And, and rewatching this, yes, this is not on that level, not on that level by any means. But I still had fun with it. 
Well, what's interesting about this one is some of the themes. I was surprised of how much continuity, that's the right word, and how many themes would get repurposed. It's been a long time since I've seen any Mm -hmm. of the, like the Heston original and any of the subsequent like 15 million sequels you know be below beyond in the planet of the apes listenership yeah in most of the sequels you're just like okay right so i don't know how much of that was like just like it's it's in the text it's and how much of it's in the book i've never read the book Mm -hmm. so i don't know how much of it's there but i was surprised of like how much you could almost sort of see thematically where they picked up on similar ideas and similar story beats they just they centered it on apes instead of human beings um in the in the uh matt reeves uh apes films but when it, when it comes to this one far be it for me to criticize how a character in a planet of the apes movie is written but my biggest problem was the leo character because uh leo is mark Wahlberg, has been working with primates for how long at this point yet he seemingly doesn't like them or understand them at all and i feel like he didn't like his the ape he worked with before he jumped to this planet. That, well, that's well. So okay, well, yeah, and, that's my and point. And then you get to the end, and it's like, oh, hey, buddy. Well, that's kind <laughs> of my point. Doing? He's chastised by his peer, who is the doctor who works primarily with the yes. apes. Yes. For teasing the ape and confusing the the test pilot, Perseus or whatever his name was, Hercules. Let's say I don't even remember. I've I've absorbed too many movies. Perseus, I, I believe you're right. Yeah, something like that, and. That same character who seemingly hates chimpanzees defies direct orders to launch himself into an anomaly to rescue that same chimp he was just teasing. That, yes. Okay. Could you have rewritten that character in a way to where he's been working with these chimps for so long that he sees the humanity in them and that he has an appreciation for them and nobody else gives a shit about them because they're test pilots for a reason because they're expendable. But yeah. he, you know, they've been genetically altered, blah, 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 all the same stuff. But he's developed this bond. This is his best friend. This is his, not a lab experiment to him. He loves this chimpanzee. And that would give him the motivation to say, fuck this. I'm going to go save that guy's life because we, sh- you know, he shouldn't be out there. And I'm going to go try to find him. And then the subversion of that, of a guy who loves chimps, a Jane Goodall type, is the one that lands on a planet of apes where the apes are hostile and discriminatory towards human beings there there is more of a thematic like twist where it's like the guy jane goodall lands on a planet of apes and they think that she's uh, a subspecies and they want to enslave her that's interesting but just be like this guy who doesn't doesn't even know how chimpanzees doesn't know fuck all about chimps lands on a planet of apes and then you have mark Wahlberg of all people fumble fucking <laughs> his way through this movie it's just like that's my biggest problem with the film, other and also the Helena Bonham Carter as an ape wants to fuck Mark Wahlberg. That's weird. <laughs> I I can definitely see that because I think if they would have had him, you know, loving the ape and not kind of chastising this ape when he gets to the ape planet, there I think he would have acted differently towards them instead of very aggressively so to speak like yeah although they were very aggressive with him so he was just kind of back and forth yeah. but in in the kiss scene is yeah it's it is odd it's weird that tim burton dressed up his girlfriend as a chimpanzee <laughs> and then said kiss 
kiss Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> kiss the underwear model. Kiss the underwear model. Yeah, there's something <laughs> going on there. Uh, I just think this. Although the makeup effects, Rick Baker's that, makeup. In that's where I was going to go. Fantastic. Yes. So to me, it's like, okay, I, the story's more interesting if it is an idealist being broken of their idealism and it's like a darker kind of story and like, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. But what elevates this is the stunning, excellent, practical, big budget filmmaking, which, which you, is the, the, the makeup and a lot of the other, and there's obviously digital work in here too, but yeah, there's a lot of really excellent craftsmanship in the making of this movie. That we just can't say that about all of our movies this week. No. And we just (laughs) don't get that anymore. Right. Like we don't, we don't see this type of movie like this. And I like the, 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 the later ones rise war rise dawn and war. And I think what they were able to do digitally is with motion captures kind of insane. And each one improved upon the one before it. Yeah. And Caesar is a full fledged, fully embodied actual character. Oh yeah. By that third movie, you're just like, you're all in. Yeah, there is no uncanny valley. You just see him as no. a real chimp. You see him as a real evolved person. Yeah, and, exactly. And any circus deserves all the awards for that. Um, but here, when it's the practical makeup, yeah, it's a little silly, and yeah, the tone's a little campier, and it's a little this, that, whatever. But yeah. still, the the makeup is, and the practical effects are really kind of astounding. It kind of feels like they didn't have a third act and they just like Simos, who they think is Simos, which is, you know, Pericles, whatever his name is, comes down from the heavens and then gives a <laughs> thumbs up. And then and you expect them to get down on their knees. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. And then instantly they all reject their religion. They all just know yeah. it's false. They're like, oh, well, but here's the if if <laughs> ape Jesus returns, they're going to become more fundamentalist and radical. Right. Like if Christ, if the human Christ descended from the heavens and the whole world could see right and he landed on earth and was like i am jesus christ i have returned the number of conversions would go through the roof everybody would convert instantly but oh my gosh uh because because now there's evidence this is true and 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 all of these deep you know all the michael clark duncans of the world who are you know who are deep believers right their whole worldview is shaped around this is our origin yeah. They would, they would, they would not just double down. They would like quadruple down into their belief systems. They wouldn't just go, well, that, that, that babe Jesus is friends with Mark Wahlberg. He, he just hugged him. Must mean oh, okay. all He's of our guy. origins are false, right? Because what didn't, <laughs> wasn't the prophecy that when Simos returns, he will bring peace to the, the planet. Yeah, I mean, when they just yeah. interpret it as, oh, well, he wants peace, even be he's such a great God, he wants peace even between us and these lesser mm-hmm. beings. Not, uh, oh, you know, we're gonna be friends with him. Yeah, you know, Thade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're not. You know, we were we're, we're zealots to the point of committing religious genocide in the name of General Thade and Simos. But now that Simos is here, we're not gonna blow people up anymore. It just doesn't make sense. Yep. And it's like they just say they fucking they just like ran out of ideas and they're just like, oh, well, we got to put also like the you can't I get it. You can't redo the twist of the planet of the apes actually is no. Earth. And we blew the planet up and. Uh, yeah. And said they, they tried to do it a, a little of more of a you did jump to another planet. But when you jump back, it's like almost like a time travel thing. Like he's in the future now. Yes. 
Thade had come here, and now Earth is run by apes. And I feel like the ending was very similar to, I want to say, Battle? It might have been Battle for the Planet of the Apes. One of those. Mm. Where there was there was a scene with, like, apes dressed as police officers on Earth and everything else coming Mm. very similarly to kind of how the end of this one was okay so okay let's let's say that i i accept this right <laughs> it's very muddled and very confusing and here uh, and here's why okay how did Thade get to earth because the one ship that worked mark Wahlberg fucking took it i can't answer that because uh yeah i i don't know also assume <laughs> that Thade left after Wahlberg. After they had a fight and he's locked up. Yeah. He somehow he, got free. Let's say that he goes into out. Dagobah and pulls out <laughs> of the swamp. Leo's <laughs> ship somehow repairs it based on technology he does not have. They didn't have yeah. guns. How's he going to? Or know about. Yeah. Right. He somehow repairs that ship. He le- So then he, that means he's leaving much later than Wahlberg. But he arrives. Way earlier. earlier yeah. Enough to presumably on his own. Wipe out the human race and repopulate that planet with advanced apes. But the only and reason have a that monument built for him, right? And re completely rebuild civilization in his own image, at least in America. Yeah, it doesn't, it makes more sense to be like, oh, I time jumped and I thought I would land on a different planet, but I actually didn't. I'm just on Earth in the future and we nuked the planet and the apes took over. That makes more sense. Or, you know, a, some virus like the yes. new trilogy right, virus right. wipes them out. But they felt which, it, by the way, what, rewatching those movies in today's oh. time <laughs> really hit harder. The simian than flu it probably yeah. did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, those movies get real depressing real quick. Yeah, right. And especially now with yeah. what we went through, 2020. I'm like, oh wow, this really hits at home a little harder. Yep. Yep. <laughs> well, have we talked about apes enough? I think we have, right? Yeah. <laughs> From, I, I believe, from what I read, looking at this, I I, I don't th- I think the script itself was an ever changing through the movie. I, you I feel think the that. studio yeah. was was kind of like poking at Burton. Well, because I don't think Mark Wahlberg is much happy much with this. He really wanted to be in the film. I don't think he's he's really happy about this as much. But he also did Transformers Five. Right. So. Right. I don't, with this movie, I don't feel, when you're watching it, you get the feeling of, it feels like a studio four-quadrant film from the 90s. It feels yes. almost like a better made Lost in Space. Yeah, where, I can see that. Yeah, where it's like, sure. we got to have something for everybody. We got to have a romance, yeah. but the romance is underbaked because the female character is a fucking dud and doesn't barely speak, but we got to throw it in there and they kiss at the end. But there was some, you know, in some other version of the script that there was a more of a romance, human relationship. And there's kind of a weird love triangle between Helen and Bottom Carter's character. And it's just like, it's like there's what you feel is there's probably about 10 different scripts that were written for this. And they, like you were saying, even in when they were in production, they just kept changing shit. Yeah, and the studio was probably like, like we, need we need it to, to be funnier. You know, Paul Giamatti yeah. is just there to, for jokes, but you also get the sense that he was maybe supposed to be also like a villain, but they never really pull a trigger on it. It just, it just feels like a movie that's been overbaked. It's just been fucked with too much on a script I can, level. I can definitely see that. So for me, it's a five point five out of ten. 
which means in this week's list, it's middle of the pack. It's my number three. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to go much higher. I'm in spoilers than a 5.5. <laughs> well, this hits a seven for me for the week, and it is my number two on the list. Number two. Wow. Number two. Okay. All right. We don't have many movies left. I know. Let's see what number one ends up being. <sighs> All right. Let's move on to <laughs> Jurassic Park 3, which is the other film I've already covered many, 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 many moons ago. Oh, uh, well, here, here we go. It currently has a 49% on Rotten Tomatoes. On this remote island, they have come to rescue their son. Ben! What was that? Now they will discover... Get it will take all their courage... We're not leaving without our son. Yeah! Just to survive. Jurassic Park 3. Mom? Rated PG-13 at theaters Wednesday. Jurassic Park 3 was directed by Joe Johnston. It was written by Peter uh, Buckman, Alexander Payne, Jim Taylor, and Michael Crichton. The triumph return of Sam Neill, last seen in Jurassic Park. Triumph return of Michael Jeter, last seen in The Green Mile. Triumph return of Tia Leone, last seen in Deep Impact. Triumph return of Laura Dern, last seen in The Last Jedi. Triumph return of William H. Macy, last seen in Air Force One. Film was released July 18th, 2001, on a budget of $93 million. It only made $181.2 million. Paleontologist gets hornswoggled by Midwest bumpkins who prey upon his lust for filthy lucre, and he must atone once more in hell. Have you ever seen the footage of the kid who is at some carny ride? It's the slingshot ride. He's a little bit of a overweight kid and they shoot him up he's panicked he's terrified reasonably so and when they let go and they shoot off he's he's got like a woman next to him an aunt or a stepmom or something and he's terrified that he's gonna fall out of this thing well, yeah have you seen this and then when he shoots no, up he actually starts falling out of it Sliding through the bottom of the seat. Uh-huh. And the woman sees him falling through the seat and he's screaming, Janice, this hurts. This hurts. This hurts. Oh, Janice, Janice, this hurts. And she is laughing hysterically. And the only thing that's holding him in to this slingshot is his double chin. <laughs> have you seen this? No, I have not seen this. The entire time. <laughs> is, is that how you feel with this movie? No, the entire time this kid is parasailing with his. The, the pool boy that her or his mom is boning, her mom's rebound. <laughs> the pool boy. She gives no fucks about this guy. When they find his corpse, which has been stripped to the bone by pterodactyls. Yeah. And William H. Macy's like, oh, I'm sorry about Peter or Michael or whatever the fuck his name was. And she goes, oh, I'm not bothered by that. I'm worried about our son. And like, she gives no fucks about this guy that she just <laughs> went to Costa Rica with and let this strange man that she was dicking down or letting her dick down, take her kid off to a fucking dinosaur island, to a, and they're to parasail, parasailing yeah. over top of it. 
And she's and then the kid's like slipping through, and he's like, "Oh, oh, I'm scared, I'm scared." The whole time I was thinking, "Janice, this hurts, this hurts, this hurts." <laughs> where was mom at this time? Did they say where she was during this whole endeavor? Oh, she was getting a massage back at the all-inclusive resort, yeah. you know, or nursing a Pinot Grigio hangover. She had too many frozen like, hey. daiquiris the night before. I ain't going to no dinosaur island. No dinosaur island. I'm going to stay by the pool. Yeah. (laughs) Nurse this hangover. I'm going to go to the buffet. Uh, I remember seeing this one I saw in theaters, and I've seen all of the JPJW movies except for Fallen Kingdom because that looked like dog shit and turned out to be dog shit. Uh, I didn't see that one in theaters. I've seen the rest of them, and I remember... It's not as much dog shit as Dominion, but... Oh, God. Yeah. (laughs) When they do the Ellie Sadler Grant fake out, where you think that, oh, they're married now. Yeah. They're in suburbia. Look, there's a little kid. Those are his kids. Yeah. And, you know, they're going to get called back to action, and then they just reveal with her husband pulling up in the driveway, oh, hi, honey, that, oh, no, they're not together. And Alan Grant's just a sad old man who hasn't grown at all as a character in 10 years. Nope, he's just a grumpy old man, just as grumpy as he was in the first Jurassic Park. Before he went through the character arc. He's been completely reset to, he's a complete factory reset. He hates computers and people and children, and he's fucked, and... And he just wants to dig in the dirt and find um, whole dinosaurs. <laughs> These are the only fossils he ever finds are intact whole dinosaurs, which is not how archaeology even works. Get a 3D printed thing. Now that right? was kind of neat because you're thinking 2001 was were we already or is this was this pure science fiction at this point or true or did or is this already like well one day we'll be able to 3D print because that is a hundred like even the machine is a 3D printer. And I want to know, 3D printing, yeah, I, I, I understand that. How does it know to print the inside the way it should to make the noise? That's a good point. <laughs> the outside, yes, no problem. You're you saying how would it make the grooves model. and so forth? Yep, how do you get inside so when he blows in it, it's making the proper noise at the, the raptors? The computer no. scanned it. Sure. But you remember there was a green line <laughs> that went over the head of a raptor in the dirt, and then I was like, oh, see, now we can make this. We got the inside and yeah. You know what hit me when I was watching this? Cause this it's, this was one of the earliest movies I reviewed for the show. Um, way, way back when what hit me this time, and I have not seen it since way back when what hit me this time when I was watching it is the Jurassic world series feels less like a sequel of Jurassic park and more like a sequel series to Jurassic park three. They are plot wise and tone way more akin. Like the DNA of what Jurassic world would be in that series is here in this movie where it's a little bit more. The dinosaurs are just monsters. There's something bigger than the T-Rex. That's going to kill the T-Rex or try to kill the T-Rex. The, the dino dino spinosaurus. Yes. Or whatever they call it. Yep. You know, the, the dinosaur is always going to be, there's always going to be a bigger yeah. monster and there's always going to be a, some kind of a, you know, there's got to be a kid because there was kids in the first one and there's got to be this. And, the characters, you're not going to care about any of them, and most of them are going to be annoying. And <laughs> the raptors are going to be super intelligent. It's all going to be about communicating with raptors. And I'm like, oh, shit. This, like, when they made Jurassic World, they didn't make a sequel to Jurassic Park. They said they did. But tonally, yeah. writing-wise, character-wise, action sequence-wise, it's a sequel to this movie. You know, I, I haven't even thought of that until you just mentioned that. Like, I think you're spot on there. Like... 
It is. It's more of a, because I even wrote down that this is just a, for me, just a fun B monster movie. That's, That's what it exactly is. exactly what it is. Yes. It's, it's, what, 96 minutes? It gets in. Oh, they waste no time. They thing, get to the fucking island. People get eaten. They're, yep. They're, okay, this time around, and there's a couple of clever things. And, and I, I have the benefit now of when we did the review way back in the day, I think Jurassic World was going to come out, but it hadn't come out yet. So there was only three Jurassic Parks at that time. Okay. Yeah. Now there's six of them, basically, right? And they're real bad. They're real bad. <laughs> the last one's about grasshoppers, right? The first Jurassic World was fun. You had the nostalgia. Yes. You're like, oh, we're back at the park. We got this. And then they went on the, what the fuck tangent is this that you right. decided to go right. on to get to grasshoppers after you went to cloning? Yes. Like, what? Yeah. Okay. Here's here are actually some things I like about this movie. I like the fact that the the billionaires are fake billionaires because all the other yes. sequels, some crazy billionaire is going to buy <laughs> engine and make dinosaurs every single one of them. Even this even Lost World. Oh well, it's his nephew, or oh well, it's his old business partner who was we never heard of, and his daughter who we never heard of who made the dinosaurs, <laughs> even though she was never brought up, but she cloned herself and she's her own daughter, and like yeah, all this fucking bullshit. But it's always billionaires. Remember that Barbasol can? Remember? Yeah, remember yeah. It. It's o- that guy's yeah. gonna come back, and you're not even remember who he is. Evil Tim Cook, <laughs> Dotson. Yeah, like it's always <laughs> hidden billionaires and evil secret billionaires from Muslim countries who go into the basements of mansions and. And and auction off dinosaur parts or whatever. It's just fucking stupid. But this one's like, yeah, another billionaire. And they just, they're so rich. They just mm-hmm. want to see the, they're a fake billionaire, just like Elon Musk and Donald Trump. And I love that. It plays better today <laughs> than it did in 2001. I also love Michael Jeter. I think he's a treasure. And I think he is great in everything he's ever been in. I think he's really good in this because rather than like the hard, badass mercenary type or the game, the guy who's, you know, it, you know, Pete Postlewaite, who's like a game hunter. I just want to bring down the Rex. Yeah. You get this openly gay man who's typically plays very effeminate characters. And he's not playing effeminate here, but he's just like a guy. And he's like, well, I'm actually more of like a booking agent. The other guy couldn't make it. He was sick. <laughs> so I'm just like, so it's like, again, like we don't get some <laughs> hard, badass mercenary. You get Michael Jeter, you know? Uh, and the big, <laughs> badass mercenaries, they all get killed as soon as they land on that fucking island. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, when, when I saw this in the theater, like I, I mean, you had Jurassic Park, which blew me away yes. in 93 when it right. came out. Like this was like, holy crap. Yep. Like they got dinosaurs on screen and just amazing. And then Lost World, you're like, okay, we're getting a little more silly and we're just going to turn this into like an action movie. Yes. And then this one, I mean, we're, this, we're making a B oh, yeah. grade monster movie. Yeah real quick but we still we still got to throw the raptors in there oh yeah because you know that's what everybody knows but still my favorite scene even re-watching this i've seen it a number of times is the pterodactyls because it's the first time we got to see pterodactyls yes i'm right there with like, you yeah in the theater yep. i was like yes we in the cages and they're coming at them I'm like this is a pure horror movie and i'm a horror fan so i'm like this is Awesome. Well, even more than that, that aviary scene, I think that's on my yes. list of like one of the good things. I think that that is the closest scene in this movie that feels like the first film. Yeah. It, I, it, I, it, it is definitely horror, but if definitely because JP has some light horror tones to it, 
when you know disappearing into the mist and they don't really quite know where they are mm-hmm. and then the kids thinks it's his mom and then out of the mist of terry dark because you're right we never i think at the end of the lost world you see them but they don't really do anything they just kind of squawk but the idea yeah. that like oh no like because you know especially like kids who grew up during the dinosaur boom of the 80s um pterodactyls were one of those like the five dinosaurs you knew pterodactyls were one of them you knew t-rex yeah you didn't know raptor jurassic park put raptors on the map but you knew t-rex stegosaurus you know, like triceratops, triceratops stegosaurus, stegosaurus yeah. Yeah, yeah pterodactyl right and it's like how did they put all those in jurassic park yes. to make you go ooh, ooh, yep. cool cool yep you're like where the fuck are the pterodactyls where the fuck are the pterodactyls and they finally put them in and they're like the most murderous things ever and yeah. I, I i still think that scene's really good um i think it, it plays excellently i think uh billy should have died the fact that he's just miraculously alive at the end makes no sense yeah but it's actually executed really well that's the one thing i would say is joe johnston everything that's good about this movie is joe johnston's direction one of my f- favorite things we do the whole aviary thing the whole set sequence everything and then we're panning down the river and you're watching the two pterodactyls pecking ben mm-hmm. to death in the water right and all of a sudden you get that Jurassic Park, like blood splot in the water. And then a third pterodactyl that's in the uh, foreground actually turns its head and looks at camera. And you, and the thing is you don't even clock that there was yes. a third pterodactyl there because. And it's that slow turn too. Like. Yes. Because he's had you focused on the background the entire time. You're so focused mm. on what's happening you think it's you're just passing by rocks but in the rocks is another pterodactyl and it slow turns and it dawns on you and it's a great moment because what it reveals to you is you'd be dead too yes. because you wouldn't even see that thing coming because you're like oh how could they not see a pterodactyl you didn't see a pterodactyl <laughs> you didn't see it you're dead too this place is dangerous i think that is excellent it's 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 very good i think the phone bit phone bit is even though it's nonsensical uh, where the, the all of a sudden the phone's ringing and then the dinosaur is just the standing there. Planet, like, well, the dinosaur is just standing there. Oh yes, and he's just like, "Hey, what's up?" Uh, like, ate him. Yeah, it's kind of funny, <laughs> but it's it's I it, 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 it has some yeah. it has some odd humor yes. in it. But for me, it plays into that B monster movie. Yes. This is what you're gonna get. You're gonna get quirky humor. You're gonna have quirky characters, and you're just gonna you're just along for the ride. And when they first get to that the info center or the lab or whatever, and then just way way back in the background, there's just a blur, a brown blur, and it's just a raptor running by real quick, and it's just way in the background. Mm-hmm. It's like that's excellent monster movie making stuff. It's like you th- oh, we, oh yeah. we just kind of saw it just briefly. We think we saw a raptor. They had no idea. And even though it's like yeah, it's probably it's taken from Aliens and many other movies. The raptor head in the tank, but it's not really in the tank, and it comes around the corner. Mm. is excellently done. Um, I, I think this is the last movie where, because still, actually, I think there's more practical dinosaurs in this than there was even the Lost World. So many of these raptors are practical again. There's still a lot of digital. The pterodactyls, yeah. it's like it, it goes back and forth. Every dinosaur is digital and uh, practical. And because they're in real places and on real sets and, there's just something about this movie that maybe it's because the rest of the movies in this series are awful. It has raised my esteem for this film. And I would say Jurassic Park 3 is not a good Jurassic Park movie, but it is the best of the Jurassic World movies. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> that makes like, sense. It, it does. It does. And 
Personally, out of the Jurassic Park movies, this is my second favorite of the series next to the original. It like, might be. I and like now this it better might, than Lost World. Yeah, it's definitely better than Lost World for sure. Um, I will say that. Even it, with the Ellen scene that everybody pokes fun at, I'm like, it's, she's just having a little dream on the plane, guys. Come on. It is weird, though. <laughs> it is it's very weird. But yeah. it fits the tone of this odd quirky film i would say i'd rather have alan grant try to communicate with raptors with using their the thorax basically yeah their windpipe <laughs> instead of just putting his hand out and controlling their behavior. oh and stopping them. yeah right <laughs> riding motorcycles next to right. <laughs> in movies ever i just want to say this i don't want to burst anybody's bubble but every marriage you have ever seen reconciled during traumatic events in a movie later fell apart. <laughs> Taylioni is the worst part of this movie, both her performance and how she's written. That Amanda uh, character agree on that, fucking yeah, sure. blows. <laughs> they, they go back to the Costa Rica resort or whatever. That's still on Ben's credit card. Cause the, that guy probably paid for that trip and he's dead. He's hanging in the trees somewhere <laughs> and she doesn't give a shit. They bone in the bed. Ben pays for and then they are broken up by the time they reach the mainland. And that kid thinks his parents, he thinks he has survived dinosaurs. His, he's met his hero, Alan Grant, and his family is going to be reconciled. And they will, they, they are done by the time they get back after, to. After he comes out of the Oklahoma. jungle, like, like he's in uh, uh, Lord of the Flies. <laughs> yes. with the, like- <laughs> oh, that's some hokey. That's hokey shit. <laughs> but this is a movie. This is the sequel to a movie where a girl who is the daughter of Ian Malcolm, even though Ian Malcolm says he has no children. Uh, not only did he goes from having no children, he goes from having multiple children, according to that movie, that he has no relationship with any of them. Who's a, who's a gymnast who does... That's what I was going to yeah. say, who does a fucking <laughs> tumble routine to kick a raptor, yes. two-ton raptor outside of a fucking window. Yeah, so this kid is like probably the least annoying kid since the original. He's all did right. They say, did they say how long he was on that island? Because I Eight feel weeks. like... Okay, because I was like, man, you 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 turned into this fast. <laughs> he's a he's a product of divorce, man. Divorced yeah. kids from broken families got to grow up quick. <laughs> yeah, he just needed he just needed the the line like Newt in Aliens. They mostly come out at night. Mostly, mostly. yeah. <laughs> uh, his equivalent is this is T Rex P. How'd you get this? You don't want to know. You don't want to know. Yeah, yeah, that's his equivalent. Go. Yeah, <laughs> T Rex pees at night mostly. <laughs> mostly. Um, I give this thing a six out of ten. Man, it's my number one of the week. But <laughs> wow! Wow! <laughs> it's all downhill from here. <laughs> Jurassic Park three is now uh, heading towards last movie standing. <laughs> uh, I give this a seven out of ten. It's my number three, so it's it's tied with Planet of the Apes. Wait, so this is your seven. S- wait, wait, wait. This is your number three. Second favorite Jurassic week. Park. It's only yes. your third best movie of this week. Yes, correct. I'm telling you, you got oh, a different no, animal on the show this no, week, buddy. No, <laughs> there's only two there's, options here, and one there's of only two options. One of them left. is an option that even Brendan Fraser himself disavows. <laughs> I hope you're ready for this. It wasn't the Brendan Fraser Renaissance. It was his first run. He was at the height of his powers, and he didn't even have to slap on a fat suit. It's 2001's <laughs> The Mummy Returns, which currently has 
a 47% on Rotten Tomatoes. The Mummy Returns is absolutely spectacular. This is bad, Amy. We've had bad before. This is worse. The single most exciting film you'll see all year. The Mummy Returns. Rated PG-13 at theaters Friday. It is the ignoble return of Steven Somers. And this movie is written by Steven Somers. It's based on characters by Steven Somers. Sensing a theme here? Uh, <laughs> it is the triumphant return of Brendan Fraser, last seen in The Mummy. Triumphant return of Rachel Weisz, last seen in The Mummy. It's a triumphant return of Arnold Vosloo, last seen in The Mummy. It's a triumphant return of Dwayne The Rock Johnson, last seen in Not The Mummy skyscraper and for old time's sake <clears throat> actually i can't do that because it's a triumphal return of alan armstrong lasting in van helsing you wouldn't recognize him because he's in brown face here stephen somers loves putting white guys in brown face and making them vaguely middle eastern this film was released may 4th 2001 on a budget of 98 million dollars somebody's walking around with 95 million dollars in their pocket this thing made $435 million. Imhotep is back from the dead of the dead to chase a Muppet with a bracelet and fight the real monster, CGI. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, my God. <laughs> N- looking at this, yeah. I mean, even when I saw it in the theater in 2001. It would not look good in 2001. The CG no. was, was terrible. I mean, we... If we even, I mean, we got episode one two years before this. Yep. Would even if you hate Jar Jar Binks, it's <laughs> far better than this one. I don't want to jump ahead, Brad, but you get the Lord of the Rings. The Lord the of the Rings year. the same year. <laughs> Harry Rings, Potter, exactly. Harry Potter the same yes. year. Oh, geez, yeah. Even Ugh. even Jurassic Park three, yes. where you have some CG dinosaurs yep. mixed with practical, it was so much better. It's like this was. A clip art they threw on screen. So there's two things here. The first movie was so successful they immediately greenlit yes. this movie. And Brendan, like we got to get a sequel. Yeah, Brendan Fraser tells the story that they were barely done marketing this movie, and he was already back in Morocco shooting this one. And you can tell because the script is a mess. Oh God! And when they <laughs> were done shooting it, they pretty much just threw it out in theaters. And there's two things. One. They did not give the special effects team, uh, especially the digital guys, the one it's over ambitious for what CG could do at that time. Oh, yeah, because there are a ton, a ton of effect yes. shots. And for 2001, a quick turnaround it's, in the technology of that time, yeah. you're going to need a little bit of time. Because, we, because we'll get into uh, our next episode, but like the Fellowship of the Ring, they were working on some of the special effects in the 90s. Yeah. They've been working on it for a long they, time. It took them years for that movie to come out. I mean, Star Wars, Star Wars. He yes. was working on that stuff for a while. Yeah. And he, I mean, he was, he had ILM, you know, leading the way and creating a lot of this stuff too. So. And, the, and see, that's the other thing too, is this movie also comes out in this weird in between time where a lot of this, the technology was, was created for Jurassic Park. Well, Terminator 2 and Jurassic Park, and they kept pushing it forward. And they kept basically building newer computers, faster chips, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And they had to invent whole new types of technology to be able to do 
uh, Star Wars, the, the Phantom Menace, and mm-hmm. then they had to do entirely new technology, even from that, just a year or so later, uh, for the for Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings, they were creating entirely new forms of filmmaking technology to try to make this work. It wasn't just that they were like, they had more time and better computers. That's true as well. They had more time, better computers, and they were inventing better technology. Universal was like, who who you got? Like, oh, my cousin down the street, he's got a computer. He could do this for you. Universal hired a reasonably (laughs) good team, but gave them no time and none of the resources, none of the money to do it. Well, yeah, and the turnaround. And the turnaround. like, okay, this needs to be done yesterday. Let's do it. The Marvel method, basically. And so then Brendan Fraser, because he's, you know, he's talking about all this stuff now because he's in his renaissance. He said, at the premiere, the CGI guys came up to him, the digital guys. They go, hey, we worked in the special effects of the movie. And he was like, ooh. (laughs) (laughs) And he's just like, oh, yeah, great job, guys. They were like, man, he goes, he said the special effects guys were like, look, they didn't give us any time to do this. Not only that, but like the worst special effect of the movie is probably the Scorpion King. That's, oh, that's the notorious I, one. By far. They, by far. They changed the design about two months before the movie was supposed to come out. So there was a completely different design for the Scorpion King. And the studio was just like, we actually want him to be more Scorpion. You know, we don't want any practical. We want to be full digital. We want him to be more yeah. of a Scorpion. They had to start from zero. And Basically, that's what you get. You get is they had like six weeks. They threw whatever they could together with te- with that technology wasn't there in the first place. Um, and they, because they, like they threw this out there, and you can tell. You can you the, could uh, but to your point. You could tell in two thousand and one. Yeah. We I went oof in the theater when I saw it with my parents. Like the, the was it the Army of the Dead? Those characters they looked fine. They they kind of fit with the original Mummy. But yeah, for like two thousand and one. Yeah, yeah. When that Scorpion King comes on, you're just like, the water phase, which is just a retread of the sand phase. Oh, yeah. It's like they copied paste. They're like, okay, we got to do this. We still have the sand one, right? Yeah. Just make it water. (laughs) Honestly, I think the mummy himself looks worse in this than now (laughs) than the mummy from 99. No, the, the mummy in 99, like that's still, that's a great movie. That's just a fun, fun adventure movie. And to me, that one still holds up. If I don't say that, I think M from Burger might come after me. But yeah, she so I have to say she it. She doesn't listen to this show, Brad. She'll never know. She'll never know. She ain't listening. Uh, but the, the, this, uh, it, it, it was rough, it, especially on this rewatch. You know, 2023 special <laughs> effects, and you're watching this going, "Ooh, I've seen better stuff on Tubi, man." It, well, it's re- for like a thousand bucks. <laughs> it's really weird. <laughs> is the screenwriting decisions here. You can tell they just farted this one out because <laughs> they make a kid. They do everything that bad sequels do. Now there's a kid. Okay. Yep. Now there's a kid. Oh, he has this tattoo. We didn't really okay, talk yeah, about yeah. Like all of a sudden. He all of a sudden has a what? tattoo. And all of a sudden the guy who fought next to him and, and against him, but also with him against the army of the dead in the first movie just happens to notice now. Yeah. Oh, oh, you have a sacred symbol that we all have. You're a magi. So yeah. Rick, all of a sudden, is a magical. This two years ago. Yeah, yeah. Didn't never notice that you were one of us. It turns <laughs> out you're a sacred warrior chosen by God. Uh, fucking Evie is the reincarnated Nefertiti, the Pharaoh's daughter. Never knew that before. 
The kid yeah, no. has, is chosen by the bracelet because he's the key to all of this. And it's like, so everybody in this movie, it does the worst things that sequel screenwriting does, which instead of making your world larger, it makes the world smaller. Yeah. And I think, <laughs> I think the writers had like a, a clips up on the, uh, you know, some book that said dummies guide to sequels. Yes. Okay. You got to have a kid. Yep. You gotta you gotta have some special stuff that goes back to before before. Oh the yeah, last movie. secret origins we didn't know <laughs> yes. about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you wonder why a lot of the times that people say the sequels are worse than the original. Well, it turns out that Aksunamun like is not his concubine. It's not fair one of Pharaoh's concubines. It's his actual wife. It's an evil stepmother. And it turns out there's a bad lady who's the reincarnation of Aksunamun, and she's going to allow her soul to be overwritten. She functionally dies because he's like, oh, you're just her in physical form. We have to complete the ritual for you, her soul to come back from the underworld, which means whoever the fuck that woman was, why why did she sign up to have herself sent to oblivion so that some dead pharaoh's hoochie mama could come back from anubis land and possess her body why would she give a shit i don't know also you know you're, you're having a bad sequel Count how many times one of the characters in the movies mentions the fact that it's a sequel. And all of this has happened before. Oh, yeah. take We're a, doing this again. Yeah. We've done this before. Take, like, yeah, take a shot every time <laughs> Brendan Fraser mentions that's what I should have done. that this is a sequel. Actually, better than take a shot. Turn it off. Turn the movie <laughs> off. The first time you hear Brendan Fraser go, here we go again. Not this again. I hate mummies. Didn't we do this before? Ooh. Yeah. Just shut the fucking movie off. Uh, honestly, go watch the third one because it's far better than this one. That's what I th- I was. It, I was like, for my memory, it's been a long time since I've seen it. I don't think that third one's any good, but I'm like, third one's, w- at least it's different. It's something yeah, it's new. Different. It's a better kid actor. It's, it's, unfortunately, don't get Rachel Vice, but it's a better kid actor. That's its, that's its biggest drawback is yeah. we don't get Rachel Vice back. Uh, oh, this is just. My here's my question now, to you: Why is the Scorpion King not just the main villain? Why bring Imhotep back at all? Like why? Because was it a year, two years? When when was the Scorpion King movie? Because that was shortly 03? after yeah, this, two too. years yeah. later. Yeah, but that was like a prequel where he was an antihero or whatever. You could still yeah. do a prequel antihero Scorpion King bullshit, whatever. What I'm saying is. They have to resurrect. I don't know why Imhotep they had to, have. to to retcon his whole plot line, so that he can beat the Scorpion King to get the army so of the take dead the power to take the power that he already has. It, I was like, wait, weren't we already here where he had the army of the dead? But <laughs> things happen, right? Uh, what now? What it, it, this movie makes absolute no sense whatsoever. It is, it's all it manages to do is be a worse, dumber version of the first film. Yeah. It's the, and I haven't, I don't think I've, I'm trying to think. I, I saw this in the theater yeah. and there was a lot of, it. I just rolled my eyes at it. And I think I may have watched it once after that. And I hadn't, I probably haven't watched it since probably 2002 or so. So coming back to it now, I was just like, Ooh, this one's a little rough. Okay. It has some moments that were still fun. Like I love Brendan Fraser. I love his character in this. Is he the same Rachel character Vice though? Is, great. is he the same character as from the first movie though? 
a little more exaggerated. Yeah, is is kind of what they did. They made him. Tr- they tried to make him a little more goofy, a little more like the one liners and the ah, and it didn't totally work. No, like most sequels, yeah. like a lot of sequels, they tried to tried to one up that original, but it just didn't work. So is this your number one? <laughs> this is not my number one. This is my number four for the week. It's my number so that, four. Believe for, me, for the week. This is my number four for the week. I gave it a, a uh, five point five. Okay, I give this a four out of ten. It's by four for the week. This is staggering to me. Um, <laughs> that leaves. I think we, there's only one movie one left. One movie left, and I only have one spot left. Holy on my, shit! On my list. Being added to the guest list. <laughs> One of the most notorious turkeys of the turn of the century. Every every, every other podcaster that we mutually know yeah. that are listening to this, they're not shocked going, That's right now for me putting this in number again. one. <laughs> We're talking about Michael Bay's abomination, not Transformers, whatever. <laughs> Pearl Harbor, which currently has a 24% on Rotten right, Tomatoes. Right up my alley. The event that changed history is now changing the way you watch movies. Pearl Harbor. Only on DVD can you experience the sights, the sounds, and the emotions of the day that defined a nation. The American people will win absolute victory. If you buy one DVD this year, own the movie critics hail as a DVD you must own. Pearl Harbor. Own it today on DVD. Was directed by Michael Bay. It was written by Randall Wallace. If I was Randall Wallace, I would put Alan Smithy on this son of a bitch. <laughs> Is the triumphal return of Ben Affleck, last seen in Armageddon, triumphal return of Mako, last seen in TMNT, triumphal return or heard, I should say, triumphal return of Kate Beckinsale, last seen in Van Helsing, Stephen Sommers, the triumphal return Van of Van Helsing. That's... <laughs> oh, yeah. Even I can't like. I can find a few positives in that. The triumph return of Cuba Gooding Jr. last scene is a good and as good as it gets. Triumph return of John Voight. I, I saw some of your Twitter posts. Can't wait for this one. John Voight from Tomb Raider and many more. It was released. This it was released May twenty first, two thousand and one. At Pearl Harbor, what's the worst atrocity? <laughs> the Japanese <laughs> bombing Pearl Harbor or gathering a bunch of World War II traumatized, shell shocked PTSD uh, octogenarians and making them sit there all three interminable hours of Pearl Harbor? <laughs> that is the, like that, that, somebody got POW flashbacks, Brian, when they were sitting there going, Oh my God. I remember in the war <laughs> when I, I was behind enemy lines. Ben Affleck and Kate Beckinsale were getting together. I was there. Oh my god! Uh, yeah, <laughs> I remember my best friend fucked my nurse girlfriend who I was in love with after going on exactly one date with when I told her I loved her <laughs> before I told her I was going to Europe. Oh uh, shit! It was May twenty first, two thousand and one, Pearl Harbor. May twenty fifth, two thousand and one. Mainland United States on a budget of $140 million. This son of a bitch made $450.2 million. A world at war plays second fiddle to a cuckolded fighter pilot and his best gal. 
This film was nominated for four Academy Awards. It is the only film directed by Michael Bay to win any Academy Awards. I think, put down your binge notebook, now available at uh, bingemovies.thrillist.com. I think this is the debut of Jennifer Garner on the show. Sometimes, Brad, I like to go to what the real critics had to say about a film. Before, before you get to me, yeah. who uh, <laughs> may have it in a different space on the list than you. Yes. Far, far. Yes. This might, I don't know if it is. Could this be your biggest gap in 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 the uh, the top? We'll figure. We'll figure rankings. out what the score is. It might be. But first, let's look at what the real critics had to say about this one. What is the point, really, of more than half an hour of planes bombing ships, of explosions and fireballs, of roars on the soundtrack, and bodies flying through the air, and people running away from fighters that are strafing them? How could it be entertaining or moving when it's simply about the most appalling slaughter? Why do the filmmakers think we want to see this? Unrelieved by intelligence, viewpoint, or insight, it was a terrible, terrible day. 3,000 died in all. This is not a movie about them. That's a quote from Roger Ebert. Uh, this film is notorious for having scenes that show Japanese planes attacking hospitals, which never happened because uh, both Pearl Harbor veterans and the Japanese protested aspects of this movie. <laughs> well, at least he brought folks together. All right. Are you telling me that this isn't an historically accurate film? <laughs> no. The Japanese pilots were actually under extreme strict orders to not attack civilian targets, which is why when you go to Pearl Harbor, the only thing that was damaged and attacked was the naval base there. There was no other outside uh, damage. They didn't damage any civil property. They, they were just attacking the U.S. military. Um. It was also uh, noted that there's endless historical gaffes and cultural uh, offenses that are committed here. For instance, um, the, 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 there's the, the, when they make the decision to bomb Pearl Harbor, they're meeting outside. And um, famously, it was said that uh, Japanese people never would, would never commit business like that outside because it, that is seen as the behavior of barbarians, <laughs> that you would plot something like that inside a building. So it's like a cultural gaffe. Like, you just wouldn't do something like there. So it was Michael Bay trying to, uh, I don't want to say, <laughs> poke fun at them in a way that isn't nice. <laughs> I don't know that he even knew what he was doing. I think he just had a good setup and he was like, oh, yeah, we'll make a set here. This looks nice. And he just, he, there was no, there was apparently nobody on this set who knew anything about Pearl Harbor or the Second World War or the Japanese. Except for the Arizona gets bombed and, and sinks. Like, okay, we got to have that. Yep, yep. <laughs> Everything else, we'll, we'll figure it out. I had never seen this movie before. I, I was shocked that this was your first time. This is my first time I have seen this movie watched. a number of times. Okay. <laughs> With a fir within the first four minutes, the first note that I wrote was, I cannot believe this is real. <laughs> I cannot believe the totality of the choices that were made it just in the first four minutes alone. The melodrama, the accents, the fake teeth, it, the simple jack of it all, where he's like, I don't want you hanging around nobody who can't read. And he's like, you shut up, you dirty German. And he like whacks the kid's dad. He's like, oh, I'm a, he's I'm like a, what did you say? What did you say to yeah. me, boy? I, 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 I fought the Germans in the trenches. 
And it's just like, oh my God. And it's all downhill from when he says, you're, you're never going to be nothing hanging around a dummy who can't read. Every time Ben Affleck laments his dyslexia and there's a sad piano that fires up in the background, I bursted into laughter. I burst into laughter. Every dramatic moment feels like a clip taken from Tropic Thunder's parody movies or another movie that's spoofing these sort of vanity projects. Even the newsreel guy sucks. The guy who does the voiceover for the newsreels Fuck, it blows. Everybody knows the stereotype, the trope of the news. Yes, Coming in from do. the Second World War, our boys yep. are on the front lines. Yep. Everybody knows the voice. This guy's just like, the Japanese have bombed. It's like you, you expect him to try to sell you carpet squares. It's like he's, he's, sell, he's selling remainder furniture in St. Louis, Missouri in 1998. He's just a guy talking. He's like, yep. I, I, I can't even do what he does on accident because every time I try to do a news reel, our boys are going to take it to the... Everybody <laughs> knows. Everybody knows what it sounds like. He can't do the voice. It's bizarre. It is bizarre. You, if there's the swelling music, the slow rack of the yes. camera into Ben Affleck's face as he says something overly sentimental and modeling. Oh, it, it has it has Michael Bay's full on, like you could just you would watch this with the sound off. Yes, and you know this is a Michael Bay movie by the low camera angles, the color grading that he yes. does, the the slow motion, like we're going to pan around a character. Like you, you know, that it's Michael Bay, but Brad, I've seen a lot of Michael <laughs> Bay movies. Okay. I have too. I'm, I'm a, I'm a Michael Bay fan. Okay. I, I will tell you, I enjoy the transformers movies except for five. And is that the one where Mark Wahlberg's daughter is dating a pedophile? No, that's the one where they go after King Arthur. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. What the fuck is this? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure where the dividing line is between believable historical epic drama that may not be historically accurate, but is still enjoyable to watch. And this, but Pearl Harbor crosses that Rubicon wherever it may be. This is in a territory unlike any movie I have ever seen. The, the greatest achievement of this man's career, Michael Bay's career, is that he accomplished something that even Steven Spielberg could not accomplish, which is he made a funny World War II movie. This is everything 1941 failed to be. This is the single <laughs> funniest movie ever made about a mass tragedy. This is the funniest, funniest okay. mass killing movie that's ever been made. We, the, I, I was quickened in my spirit, Brad, as I was watching this. <laughs> I knew 15 minutes, 15 minutes before it happened. I knew for a fact that that red, that stuttering red was going to at one point burst into a room and stammer. The Japs are here. And I, well, and it took him a second to really say oh, it. Oh, yeah. And then 15 minutes later, that son of a bitch did it. And I felt it coming and I knew it. It was as if I had a, 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 a moment of clairvoyance. It was, as if, it was as if the muses gave me prophetic insight into what was to come. I prophesied it. And I spoke those things that were not as though they were. And it manifested in the movie. And I damn near fell out of my chair laughing. 
I was, I could not, I was stunned. Of course the stuttering guy is going to be the one to announce the Japanese have I mean, come to Pearl Harbor. Of course. It's Michael Bay. Have you seen Transformers 2? I mean, that's probably the most racist movie he's made. Oh, I've seen <laughs> it. I've reviewed like... it, yes. <laughs> I mean, I heard Pearl Harbor was a turkey, Brad. I, I, and every time it has ever been yeah. mentioned, it's been mentioned as being one of the worst movies ever. I'm telling you this, when John Voigt <laughs> and as FD fucking R in replica, <laughs> they took molds of FDR's real braces and they put it on his it body and in replica braces, no less, that son of a bitch stands in defiance from his chair. And somebody would say, well, that really, ha- I don't care if it really happened. The performance that's delivered by John Voigt trying to get up out of that wheelchair is something that you would see in a Stanley Kubrick film. It was, it's a Peter Sellers level performance, but it is done with absolute sincerity. There, there is the most earnest, ridiculous thing I have seen that I howled with laughter. I was in tears. I rewound it and watched it again. I could not believe that this movie was real. I, and I, it's not just that it's real, that it is earnest, that it is sincere, that this was mm-hmm. Michael Bay's heartfelt attempt to honor the events and depict the events of Pearl Harbor, to make his elevated war picture, to make his saving Private Ryan. This is what he fucking delivered. And I laughed and laughed and laughed. <laughs> So you're probably saying it was your favorite comedy of 2001. It's the, possibly. It is the funniest thing I've seen in a long time. <laughs> and uh, for me, like, I, I know, I know it is completely inaccurate. It's full of inaccuracies. And this cheesy ass love story is ridiculous brad it's the equivalent of making a 9-11 movie and making the central plot a love triangle in an office workplace (laughs) and that i'd probably and while people are chucking themselves out of windows you're laughing because of the tone (laughs) is so (laughs) comedic what a wow but i i don't know what it is i really enjoyed this movie it it, not ironically you you actually genuinely love legitimately like this movie quite a bit and what's funny is on do you laugh at show, it do you laugh at it or you take it serious i mean there are parts where i laugh and i will take it serious yes do you cry do you cry and, during pearl harbor um i don't know i don't cry okay i don't, cry. Right. I don't cry to pearl. like one my biggest biggest complaint in this movie is i wish cuba gooding jr would have got a bigger role Oh, like, you mean I as the black like, cook who just is just happy to I take orders, like, but by God, he's going to get on that machine gun, boy. He's going to get on that gun. Yeah. He's going to uh, shoot some Oh, yeah, down. USA, America, fuck yeah. <laughs> we sure do. You you captain us real good, Captain. <laughs> Jesus. They, like, oh, my God. I could but not I, believe I think, it. I think his, a bigger role for him could have been better. Yeah. Like, um. I don't know. I I just even on the rewatch when I was watching it uh, the other day, I I was like, I just still I like this movie. I just like this movie, and I'm not the only one on my show that likes it. Like the Cinemaiden and Justin both enjoy this movie quite a lot too. So, which is shocking because a movie that's rated this low, I'm usually the only one. Remember when I said the Cinemaiden should come on? I, yeah, I'm rescinding. I'm rescinding the offer. Yes. <laughs> 
Let me ask you a question. Would this movie yes. have made more money if it came out after 9-11? When everybody was rah, rah, America. Rah, rah, USA. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we were like, oh, yeah, you know, fuck yeah, Pearl Harbor. And would we have embraced it? <laughs> I mean, it's the top grossing movie of the, uh, or, or, you know, it's in the top 10, but it's not the top grossing movie of the year. Would this yeah. have supplanted Harry Potter if it had come out, like, <laughs> I don't October think of 2021? <laughs> but, yeah, I mean the raw USA. Cause there's plenty of that oh, in yeah. this movie of yeah. like, like, Hey, let's, let's go. Come on. I mean, yep. he many moments. I even wrote down that Michael Bay was trying to make his saving private Ryan moments. Oh yeah. You know, when, when people are dying and like just setting up the drama and you can see it coming oh, yeah. from 10 miles away. I, I get it. I, I truly do. Like I understand the shit this movie gets. I understand the shit most movies I like it, but I like them. I really, really, truly did enjoy this movie. You really, genuinely, truly yes. like so you. I mean, I even own the four disc director's cut of the film. <laughs> I mean, I'm not laughing that you that you own it. I'm laughing that it exists. <laughs> There is a director's cut of this movie? What's funny is the director's cut, it's only one minute longer, but it adds gore, like more like violence to the action scenes. And there are some parts where it kind of changes the tone of the love story a little bit, but it, just by lines and, and different takes. Why does there need to be four discs for this? Well, there's a lot of uh, uh, making ofs behind the scenes is there a lot of unused like, footage of this nearly four hour movie farce no no not really like, <laughs> like i said it's only a minute longer but it's like i think it's the, the different takes cut. and different stuff yeah <laughs> director's cut one minute longer <laughs> and it's rated r oh jesus christ oh my god okay i just i i this was They'll never be able. Don't. No one will ever be able to take away from me the first my first time watching this. I'll probably never watch it again because I don't want it to be ruined for me. I'm telling you, I rewound that first four minutes three times. I rewound that FDR scene four four or five times, and I just couldn't believe at times what I was seeing. I couldn't believe that this was in earnest good faith put out into the world that nobody looked at this and said, "Boy." This tonally, maybe Mike, this is not coming off the way you think it is. Because you actually genuinely like the film, but you recognize why people laugh at it. I do. And how could he not have? I don't know. Like I I legitimately think he was making he thought he was making his saving private Ryan, his you know movie about this big historical event in the u.s and it like for me someone like me it it worked for me yeah (laughs) and like i said i've I've watched this movie a number of times and the action piece i mean the the bombing happens about halfway through the movie and you're just like there's still an hour (laughs) left of this film (laughs) of pearl harbor and and they've already bombed pearl harbor right right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're in the middle because that's the thing. It doesn't like it doesn't start with the attack on Pearl Harbor, and you have an hour no. and a half left. You are an hour and a half in, and you're like, "There's still an hour and a half left to go." <laughs> gotta set it up. You gotta have 
you're gonna have Dan Aykroyd coming in being like, something's gonna happen. Oh, I think you're wrong. And then it does. <laughs> I think Pearl Harbor is gonna happen. You're wrong. <laughs> then Pearl Harbor happens. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's just unreal. And I I knew as soon as I got the list of the movies. I knew right off the bat, I was like, Pearl Harbor's probably going to be my number one. This is going to be interesting. <laughs> I don't like to make predictions of how the rest of the season's going to go. But I can pretty much guarantee this is going to be eliminated <laughs> straight off the top. Whoever gets this list for last week's day is going to go. Uh, Pearl Harbor's fucking god movie is garbage. <laughs> so God bless you for putting it on the list. But unless we, we, there are some wild cards that we could bring on who might try to make an argument for Pearl know. Harbor. You never know. You never know. You, I mean, you brought me on. You would have never thought I would put Pearl Harbor as my number one for the week. No, I thought it might be like your number two. I thought you were going to go Mummy Returns. But the fact that you came on and were like, Mummy Returns stinks. is that That means it really stinks. And it was one of those, this rewatch, like I had this memory of like, I knew it was bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But watching it again, I'm like, oh yeah, this movie is no good. Stunk. Like <laughs> Hannibal even, like when I saw it in the theater, I didn't like it right. when I saw it in the theater. And a rewatch, I'm like, oh, yeah, this movie is trash. <laughs> <laughs> and for the most part, like, yeah, like it, it happens. I, you know, like you said, sometimes I'll rate a movie one and a half. You're like, man, that movie must just fucking sick. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah well but on the flip side like my all-time favorite movie is the director's cut of kingdom of heaven i think it's a perfect movie and everybody should see it so i mean you know give and take it's ridley scott's best yeah so ridley scott's best movie is kingdom of heaven the director's cut, director's cut. okay i've never seen a director's cut okay all right is it also four discs or is that one 16 discs <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, when the DVD came out, I think it was only three discs. Does King Arthur turn out to be Jesus? <laughs> well, we can talk about the King Arthur uh, movie that came out. I think it was 2003. Oh, no, no, thank you. That's a really you. fun movie. No, no, thank you. All right, well, obviously for me, the, there's only one more spot for me, one more spot for you. You're, this yeah. is my worst of the week. I give it a two out of ten. Oh, a two. A two. And... Are you ready for this? Are you sitting down? Are you sitting down, Jason? I know you are because I can see you. you no, know, I am. Uh, I give this an eight. Oh, my. Out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I think I, I swear to God, I think I just got a hernia. I'm not joking. <laughs> so, something just my upper abdomen on my rib cage just fucking rolled. Oh, I'm in physical pain. I'm not. This isn't a bit. That fucking hurt. Eight out of ten. I like eight out of ten. I flexed and folded over, and I fucking folded a muscle. Ow! Oh my god! I cannot believe this. And when I saw when I saw your comments as you were watching it on on Twitter, yeah. I was like, "At binge movies." Oh boy, this this is gonna be fun. This is gonna be fun. I know it is. I don't know if Jason knows what he's in for. I'm coming on. Wow. Here, <laughs> All two points are for the big old explosions because they, they have the some base explosions, big old explosions on a real body of water. And that would never happen again. So it's like, okay, they blew the fuck out of one of them ships. So, Michael Bay. Yeah. I mean, no matter what you say yeah. about his movies, he knows how to blow some shit up. He has movies that I like. And I yeah. think, I think he has a place. 
and he definitely has an aesthetic. And I think sometimes that aesthetic works for him. And mm-hmm. I think that he is very creative visually. And it's almost like he's, he's like a cinematographer who's pretending to be a director almost, you know, it's like if he had somebody else who could like temper him a little bit, I think that he, but so, and he has work that I do like and do enjoy, but boy, this is, I don't think I, <laughs> the enjoyment I got out of it, I don't think was intended by Michael Bay or the dummy dummy who wrote this movie (laughs) it wasn't the enjoyment they were intending you to have they didn't they didn't think you were going to put it on a comedy list no no um all right it's time for a recap coming in dead last for me is the sixth highest grossing film of the year it's pearl harbor to give it two out of ten Coming in at uh, number six, number four is the seventh highest grossing film of the year, The Mummy Returns, which I gave a four out of ten. Coming number three is the tenth highest grossing film of the year, Hannibal, which I gave a five out of ten. I don't really know why. You could, I don't know. I really didn't enjoy The Mummy, which kind of surprised me. I thought it would be middling, but I, it's really not good. Uh, the Mummy Returns. Um, coming number two for me is Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes, uh, which was the ninth highest grossing film of the year with a 5.5 out of 10. And coming in as my number one, the eighth highest grossing movie of the year, Jurassic Park 3, <laughs> which I give a 6 out of 10. Well, I, we're, uh, uh, you know, a little bit opposite of the list, <laughs> I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my number five was Hannibal, which I gave a 4 out of 10. Yeah. Coming in number four, we have The Mummy Returns at a 5.5. Yep. Number three was Jurassic Park 3, which I gave a 7 out of 10. And also a 7 out of 10, my number two, Planet of the Apes. Yep. And then my number one for the week, Pearl Harbor with an 8 out of 10. This might be, it's not just the fact <laughs> that it's my worst and your best, but a 2 versus an 8. Might be might be the biggest gap in scoring wise in the history of the show, and, and the biggest gap in the movie that gets to move on. Yes, yes. Even though you were going to throw it in the trash, uh, yeah, I did throw it in the trash. You <laughs> took it out of the garbage and put it into the short list, the guest list rather. Wow. Uh, if you had one movie to recommend off of this list, doesn't have to be your number one. What would you recommend to the people listening at home? Honestly, Jurassic Park three. Because it's a just a fun B monster movie. Like go in, it's ninety minutes, have fun, boom, you're done. I'm gonna shock you. You ready? You, you're sitting down. I know you are because I could see you. <laughs> I'm sitting down. Pearl Harbor. Pearl, you're gonna tell people to go watch Pearl Harbor because it's the funniest thing I've seen in a long ass time. <laughs> it's a miracle. You want them to see the a difference between a two and an eight. He made you like a one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. And <laughs> up to that point, the worst tragedy in American history. True. If this, if you said oh, they're going to make a Pearl All Star cast Pearl Harbor movie, and they're not going to capture a good performance by anybody, even on accident. Not even Michael Shannon as like the. Gooch, the, the guy Gooch, on the page, Goozer, Coozer, what was he, Coozhound? He kind of seems like he's lost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it seems like he does not know what movie. Like when they're running to the base and they're like, "You got to get the planes fueled." He just seems like, "Well, uh, what's going on, guys?" Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Even though they're armed yeah. and like, yeah, then they yell at him and go, "It's Pearl Harbor! Pearl Harbor's happening today!" <laughs> oh my god. 
Um, this to me is this entire episode was the episode of 180 degrees is my opinion changed <laughs> wildly from 2001 till now. And speaking of 180 degrees in our very next episode, we will be ranking the top five highest grossing films of 2001, which includes oceans 11 Shrek again. <laughs> You're welcome. Claire. Monsters, Inc., The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, and Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. We just went through... It's quite a different list from <laughs> 6 through 10. Yeah. We just went through <laughs> 6 and 10, I think in record time. <laughs> <laughs> under under the midway point. This, we would have just arrived at the Pearl Harbor scene of Pearl Harbor. <laughs> Based on our t- present time code, uh, when you're when, when you're not busy uh, trying to get shit movies into preservation for all time status in the no copyright infringement tenant vault, where can we find you, Brad? What are you up to? Uh, you can find myself, the Cinemaiden, and Justin. Just go to wearethecinemaguys.com or you know the Cinema Guys. We're on every podcatcher under the sun. Now, to be clear, you are not the Cinemaiden, or are you? Because you said myself, the Cinemaiden, and Justin. Are you both? Yeah, I I am. I, we don't know. Is this a De Palma I mean, situation? Are you Michael Caine? <laughs> are you dressed to kill? I could be. You, you don't know. You could have you had all three of us on the show right now. I would, And you don't know. And you wouldn't I'm, have I'm known. I'm Gary Oldman. You wouldn't have known. I wouldn't. Because yeah. they're separate entities. Yeah. <laughs> Or you can, my big thing, you can find me over on at Tubi Tuesday. That's what I have fun with the most because I can't always get my co-host together. So I do something <laughs> on my own. So <laughs> everybody just, who has a podcast has headaches <laughs> with co-hosts. Every yep. single person. There is not a person always, alive. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's always the scheduling. So you know what? I started Tubi Tuesday. I do that on our YouTube channel where I recap what I watched on Tubi every month. I do it on YouTube and TikTok now. Okay, so, so. let me ask you a question since uh, we're right. Yeah. We're, I think this should have been four and a half hours. We did it in record time. <laughs> I like to get in, get out. I told you this. <laughs> have you seen the subspecies series? I just watched those last year. Okay. I had never seen them until last year. I've been year. talking about subspecies on this podcast for 15 years. Not even Paul. He's like, I've never heard of it. Nobody has heard of these yeah. weird Romanian full moon vampire erotica films. They're weird. <laughs> they're weird. <laughs> and there, there's even, yeah. there's one spinoff too. I forgot what it was called, but the, technically there's five movies in this universe. Oh yeah. And, and they're, they're weird. They're really weird. Like they're like this weird European, like hard to explain. It's yeah. very hard to explain. There's, <laughs> you have never seen anything like this in your life. And the guy that plays whatever Lestat or whatever or whatever the main vampires, yeah, he is fucking committed. He is, and even though he he gets all bloated at one point and doesn't even look the same guy, <laughs> it's him, and he still commits to the makeup and everything. It's bizarre. A lot of full moon. They they get that like the the puppet master series. I I just wa- rewatched all the way through. I had only seen up till like eight, but I wanted I think to watch. I've only all seen up till forty five of the puppet man. There's been so many of them. Yeah. <laughs> but most of the actors in that I think are just like, you know what? This might be my shot. You could just tell like, this is my chance to like, are you talking about Greg Sestero? Are you talking about Greg Sestero? (laughs) Yes. Didn't he play, didn't he play little baby too long? 
He did. Yeah. He did in uh, Retro Puppet Master. Nobody knows what the fuck we're talking about. I'm talking about Toulon and the Puppet Master <laughs> and the, the reanimation serum, serum and whatever. Do you know Asylum, the Asylum films? Don't you the dare recommend an Asylum film in this fucking podcast. <laughs> pick something else. I mean, you brought no, me on. No, I, pick I, something I gave else. you Pearl Harbor as number <laughs> no, one. Pick something else. But I, I'm trying to remember because like last year, I watched over 250 movies on Tubi. So it's it's one of those trying to like, what was the best thing that I watched <laughs> over there? Because I watched so, so much. Honestly, one of my favorite ones I watched, it's a rewatch I've watched many times. It was on Tubi. I did a an episode with Julio from Contrarians for Alien 3. It's my second favorite Alien movie. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> What's your first Alien I'm, Resurrection? Is Alien Resurrection your no, favorite? A- Aliens is my favorite. Like saying, oh no, Alien versus Predator Requiem is my favorite Alien movie. Here we go. Probably from last year, one of my favorite yeah. movies I watched is a movie. It's a Korean film called Midnight. Okay, and it's a horror movie about a woman who is deaf, and there is a killer after her, so she can't hear when he's you know obviously coming after oh, her so it sort of like it really hush? sets the tension there's a hush very similar yeah. i've never seen hush yeah. but people have told me like oh it sounds like this so yeah okay it must be very similar okay all right okay well that's 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 probably that sounds like, not an asylum no, no, film. No. <laughs> i'm stammering because i'm like you you've just you have shocked me <laughs> i feel as if my chakras i'm so shocked my chakras are out of alignment I feel as if well. I knew my. I, I'm in uh, the two P's Patreon. I'm in their chat group, and I told them, "I'm like, I'm Brad Fest is hitting binge movies tonight, guys." And they're like, "Oh boy!" <laughs> well, shout out to the two P's Discord server <laughs> Patreon fan community. Thanks for uh, wanting to see my demise. I think it happened. You know that moment where the enlightened one or the ancient one fucking splits Doctor Strange's spirit from his body? Yes, that's yes, what this experience was like. Yeah, when right. I was like Pearl Harbor's number Eight one out of ten out of body experience. <laughs> yeah. That's what that feeling was <laughs> on my in my upper right quadrant of my rib cage. I <laughs> my spirit left my body. I just I, I am stunned. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, I may or may not be asked back. Who knows? We'll see. <laughs> The odds, I'll tell you this, the odds have either greatly increased or they've greatly (laughs) decreased. I'll let you decide. (laughs) You ever seen Hard to Get to Hawaii? I have not. Got snakes and toilets with uh, cancer infested rats and women who. Right up my alley. Bimbo mercenaries who (laughs) fondle jewels in hot tubs. It's a. it's, I mean, that, that sounds like it could be higher than Pearl Harbor. Andy Sedaris exclusively cast blondes out of penthouse to be action stars in his movie. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> All right. I know where we're going with that. <laughs> and on that note, until next time, binge on.